Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm sitting in my bedroom. I've got two laptops facing me, a whole lot of microphones, a bunch of cords. I have no idea what's going on. You'd think I get used to this setup, but it's not really happening. <laughs> it's quite complicated, actually. I'm just sort of chilling here on the bed. Mark's sitting in a chair beside the bed because he's uh, got the elaborate setup. And um, I feel a little bit useless when these recordings at home happen because I sit here not knowing how to do any of this. Never, never (laughs) useless, never. Anyway, hey everyone, it's Amanda and we are at home again because we're on day, I don't know, 7,000... And one of lockdown. I don't even know anymore. I'm telling you, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start a tally on the wall, like how I see in like movies <laughs> of, of dudes that are locked up in solitary confinement. Yeah, it's so we're we're recording from our bedroom again, and we've got Troy Levine on the phone, um, who is also a massage therapist of 16 years, and I think through I I now forget. I think you studied in Colorado, but now you're in Canada. You're in Quebec. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And I want to talk about that because I have no idea what goes on in Quebec with massage with the 18,000 associations and yeah, everything else. Like, no idea. Yeah. Well, before we, we, we get into like. <laughs> before we get into that though, Troy basically has his hand in everything. He's a published researcher, he teaches continuing education, he is a therapist himself, he's been involved in regulatory matters and so many different things. And so I'm not even going to attempt to introduce him properly because I will not do it justice. So I'm going to let Troy give us an introduction but the bigger question to him, is, of himself. Does he cook? Oh, do you cook? <laughs> I, di- I didn't get that far. Do you cook? I, I used to be a pastry chef. Oh, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> I lived in Oslo before I started massage stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, story. you're probably one of the most interesting people that we have spoken to thus far. You do a lot of things. So, Troy, I'm going to hand just it made over all to of you. our other guests feel horrible. No, man, they're all they're all freaking cool. But it's I said the same thing like when we had Nima on, who's got multiple licenses right like that's that's interesting Troy does so many different things and I I want to learn about them so I'm going to throw it over to you now introduce yourself to our listeners who you are and uh, all of the different things you've been doing yeah so uh, thank you for the introduction thanks for having the opportunity guys I really appreciate being here this is actually the first time I start really getting involved in the Canadian massage uh, culture Uh, I'm I was in Colorado for I guess almost 16 years from 2000 to 2018 and then I moved back to my home area in southern Quebec in the township and I practiced massage in Colorado went to the Boulder College of Massage Therapy in 2004 promptly got a job just at a gym as well so you know opened my own clinic like most massage therapists pretty traditional style um, you know do office jobs chair massage try to get clientele and I was fortunate in that I uh, I had connections in the gym that I worked at, and I knew some of the people who were the chiropractors and physicians and therapists for some of the Tour de France teams. And uh, there was a professional mountain biking team at the time called Subaru Gary Fisher that needed a soigneur uh, therapist, and uh, I got the job, luckily, and uh, spent six years working with Trek Factory Racing, which is what the team became at the highest level, you know, uh, pre-Olympic Games, only Olympic athletes traveled the world doing world championships, the world circuit on almost every continent. During that time, got really interested in what kinesotaping was and became so interested in it that in 2012, I flew to Dusseldorf, Germany and became a certified instructor with kinesotaping. And when I was involved with kinesotaping, started getting involved in quite a bit of research and started learning the basics of 
how to properly read research, uh, which I had never been trained to do that in massage school, which I think most people are not trained. And then a couple of years later, started doing some research myself, uh, did a big research paper with Ann Blair Kennedy from the University of South Carolina, as well as Nikki Monk from the University of Indiana, and uh, with James Spencer, who's the government relations director for the American Massage Therapy Association. We did a large, uh, large, large research paper a couple of years ago that was published and presented at our national conference in the U.S. What was and, your uh, research primarily? Uh, on the need for a bachelor's of arts within the massage therapy community. And to sum it up, the resounding answer is yes, it is a need. It is a need between the individuals in the industry, massage therapists. We want it uh, by a significant margin. I cannot remember the exact percentages, but it was over 80%, I believe, who said, yes, we need higher education at the base level of education way before PDAs, way before continuing education, your minimum education, we need to move it up to a Bachelor's of Arts, similar to British Columbia and Ontario. But that was in the U.S. Ontario. But then it was also, uh, I believe in Ontario, you guys, do you not have a BA? No, no, no we no. don't. Nowhere What's across Canada hours, does, actually. The number of oh, hours, no, no, no. So the number of hours in BC, I think is around 3,000. Um, which would which would be more than a BA traditionally, and then um, the number of hours in Ontario was twenty two hundred. But now they don't even none of them even need to go by hours anymore. It's all strictly by competency now. So you can have a oh, program right. that's completely different from the hours. At least as far as I know, I've been out of the school system for a bit. But when I left, that's kind of what I remember being at. Well, that's that, that's really interesting information because even at twenty two hundred hours, technically you would fall under a BA at two thousand hours. So it's interesting that they're not giving a BA for that because the baseline curriculum is obviously present. And what that research paper is that we did in the U.S. essentially showed us, hey, this is something that's needed. The people want it. But the biggest turnaround was the healthcare industry wanted it. Hospitals, clinics, chiropractic offices, most of the places where massage therapists are employed but not self-employed, they found an overwhelming want for that because it gave them a better understanding of uh, minimum competency when they came into the industry. So if a healthcare clinic was hiring a massage therapist with a BA, it instantly gave them this sense of confidence in their abilities right. as opposed to, we don't know who you are. Maybe you're going to turn out great. Maybe you're going to turn out horrible. Um, chances are you're going to turn out somewhere in between, even with a higher education, but it gives them a good understanding. And the biggest thing in the U.S. is it covers insurance. I think with a big thing, even though the number of hours might be somewhere close to or exceeding what would be a BA, a big thing would be the prerequisites to get into the program, yeah. right? Because like yeah. in Ontario, the vast number of people that are in the field, they went to a private career college and the admissions yeah. to a private career college is nowhere near, you know, any kind of requirements that would be needed to get into a university program. Exactly. And it's, it's the same in the US. There's a, there actually is a program in the United States where you can and get a bachelor's of arts called Siena University, Siena Heights University. Um, it's quite expensive and quite expensive, I should say, not expensive. Um, mainly what it is is that they accept your hands-on training from the previous school, and then they just give you the missing curriculum that you would need for bachelor's of sciences, essentially in massage therapy. The problem with that is that, again, there's no hands-on training. It's an online university, and as most people listening as manual therapists, hands-on courses should be taught hands-on. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm moving some of my content online right now because of the pandemic, but most of the content that I'm moving online is the lecture, the didactic, and the research, and the ethics. The actual hands-on portion, no, I'm not, I'm not going to teach that. I, I still want to be able to monitor palpation skills, speed, depth, pressure, um, technique that that still has to be monitored by someone trained and someone in the know. 
and you can't get that from online. And and that's one of the problems with the only program that I've come across that does offer a BA, which is Chen Heights University. But again, and I don't get kickback for that, believe me. <laughs> I haven't even done the program because I disagree with the non-hands-on portion. So let me ask you a question, Troy. The research paper, you said there was an overwhelming response, especially from the healthcare community, that a BA is necessary. but And then you said, like BC or Ontario, based on the number of hours, do you think that us here in Ontario and the therapists from BC and probably some other places, do you think that our education meets what the the community is looking for, what the healthcare community is looking for, and it's just the title that's missing? I would love to say yes. However, based on the simple correction that I already thought you guys had it in place, and then the fact that I just have been told that it does not exist, I would say I have not looked at the systems enough to say yes, mm-hmm. even though I would love to say yes. But an honest answer would be, I when I moved back to Canada from the U.S., we had talked about, my wife and I had talked about moving to Ottawa. And I looked at the Algonquin College, and I thought they were offering a BA, but it obviously wasn't. Um, it obviously wasn't the case, but I, I thought that's what it was, but I just didn't look into it enough. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to say yes, but I, I obviously have not paid enough attention to the programs and looked at the curriculums uh, to justify saying yes or no to that. What's the education like in Colorado where you went to school? Varied. So the Boulder College of Research Therapy, unfortunately, has closed um, for mismanagement reasons more than anything else. The Boulder College of Massage Therapy had been around for 35 years. When it did close, it was, I, I personally loved it. It was one of the most highly respected and well-sought-out massage therapy programs internationally, nation, uh, worldwide. It was a thousand-hour program with an optional associates of another uh, thousand hours, and it was an incredible program. But then there are variants you can get. You At the time that I was in school, we could have also gone to 250 hours, 500 hours, and 750 hour schools. Yeah, that's incredibly now, varied. That's not even close. Yeah. Okay. Now the statewide minimum, oof, oof, this is testing my knowledge, uh, especially since I run education, but I run continuing it there. But uh, You can say anything, we'll believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I, believe it's, I believe it's 750. It may be 500, and we're pushing for 750, but I don't know if we're going to get it. And every state in the U.S. is different, similar to Canada, where every right. province has their own regulations. The only thing is in the states, we still have three unregulated states. Um, where you can have zero hours training, similar to Quebec. Um, but in Colorado right now, statewide minimum education is 500, and we're pushing for 750. I don't know if we'll get it legislative-wise, especially with everything going on right now. So many other things have taken priorities in our our legislation. I think most of Canada is somewhat uniform now because a lot of the associations and the schools in all of the other provinces are modeling their curriculum after Ontario since we were the first regulated yeah. province and because it seems that the education standards in Ontario are the highest. I BC think, too. BC too. BC as well. But yeah, I think majority of yeah. the provinces yeah, like, now are modeling like Manitoba's after. Manitoba's associations, yeah. they won't accept anyone that has less than 2,200 hours of instruction. Right. Um, Alberta, some of their associations the same way. Um, yeah. I don't know, but I spoke to I spoke Quebec to Quebec is very much behind. Yeah, yeah. I, I spoke to the college in PEI and because I wanted to find out about us getting some courses approved there. We just love PEI and we wanted to take some courses out there just so we could go there again. And um, when I contacted the association and the college there, they said, well, if your courses are approved in Ontario, then they're fine here. Like they didn't even, yeah. they didn't even bat an eye. Just if, if they're OK in Ontario, they're fine here. Yeah. And actually, it's, it's interesting, too, because I. I I've taught uh, four students who, like I was teaching in Oregon a few years ago, and I, I taught to a few students who came from British Columbia. 
And it was interesting because when I had students from British Columbia, because I don't have as an instructor, a bachelor's in any program, those students would not get credits for the class if I was the one teaching them. So I had to fly a physical therapist, the equivalent to a physiotherapist uh, from Michigan, who was one of my assistants, who literally was one of my mentees. And she signed their certificates and helped me teach and co-taught with them the exact same curriculum to a T, you know, standardized program. And yet, because it was being taught by someone who went to that school, uh, who got that degree in British Columbia, they got their credits. Whereas if I had taught it, they wouldn't, even though it was my my mentee teaching the class. Wow. It was a very, very interesting system. It's the same with the course that I created on my own. If I teach it in British Columbia, nobody gets credits. But if one of my assistant, I have a few TAs and one of my assistants has a master's. If she teaches it, everybody gets credits, even though I'm the creator of the course. Very, very asinine system, to be honest. So it's interesting. You had said to me off mic, and you might have said it when we started as well, that you don't have a bachelor's in anything. You have your massage therapy education, but then you've learned how to read and understand research. Upon doing that, did you... Did you start to feel like maybe you didn't get enough where you went to school that you needed to do some extra education? Did you start doing some other oh, things yeah. on yeah? Okay. So what types of continuing oh, ed have you done or did you feel was like like crucial for you to get to where you are now? Yeah. So one of the most important was kinesiotaping. One of the reasons is when I learned kinesiotaping from not, you know, I, I don't want to name call anybody else, but I will say I, I teach for the kinesiotaping association. I have a vested interest in their education system. Not because I get kickbacks, I do not, but because their system is researched and it really is. They have a very intensive focus, which is on not only that tape works, it's how you apply the tape that makes it work, which means the therapist is key. It's not the product that is key. It is the therapist, right? Um, which becomes important because then if I go to, let's say, Provigo or IGA and I buy the you know little elastic therapy tape band from the local market, um, and I put it on, it doesn't work. It doesn't mean tape doesn't work. It means I did a crap job, right? which is a big, big, big difference. And so that's been a very essential program. One, because the people who designed the curriculum for kinesiotaping, there was an the education committee was made up of chiropractors, physiotherapists, kinesiologists, scientists, researchers, um, massage therapists. Uh, surgeons, uh, neurosurgeons. I mean, it really is an interesting community. And so their approach is not, this is what massage therapists would do. This is what chiropractors would do. No, this is what the body does. Mm -hmm. And this is the response that the body has to the stimulus that we're applying. And that really affected how I looked at the world of manual therapy. I stopped looking at it as, which is why you'll hear me say several times, you know, yeah, I say massage therapist because that's my training, but I say manual therapy just as often because when I touch the human body with my hands, I'm doing the exact same thing as what a physio, as what a chiro is to the patient's brain. Well, exactly. They're perceiving the same input. The only difference is, is, you know, how much pressure I'm using or what I think I'm doing. And again, we'll talk about that later. What I think I'm doing is pretty much wrong. And <laughs> we definitely don't know what we're doing when we say we think we know what we're doing. Well, um, I like how the, you said, too, that you use the term manual therapist because we've spoken about this many times on other episodes that our scopes of practice overlap a lot with all of those different professions. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, I mean, if you know what the uh, treatment goals are, if you know what the 
um, desired outcomes are, then what you're doing with your client is manual therapy because you might be performing techniques that maybe are looked at by some people as more physio techniques or more chiropractic techniques, but a lot of it falls within our scope of practice. Like you said, with the taping, the way that you're going to be doing the taping with your clients is the same as the physio would do or the chiropractor would do. It's not, this is what the massage therapist would do. It's, this is how the body works and this is how we're going to use this and this is what you need to do. I want to ask you about the body because when it comes to education, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I did teach for a little bit before getting into continuing education. And the piece of advice I gave to every student that I had, I was a clinic supervisor, every student that came into clinic and they were, of course, always incredibly nervous to actually start working with the public. And they were so afraid of like, what if I forget my assessments? What if I don't know this? What if I don't know that? The advice I gave to every single one was just know your anatomy. Like, make sure you understand the body. Just know your anatomy. If you know your anatomy, everything else is easy. It's very easy to figure out how to strengthen a muscle, how to stretch a muscle. It's very easy to understand where nerve innervations are if you just know your anatomy. Do you think? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I agree that knowing your anatomy becomes so essential for any form of manual therapist. It is the great starting point. It's the foundation which manual therapy is founded on and based on. But there are a few caveats to it. Um, knowing anatomy is one thing. Knowing how it moves is a very another. But the biggest for me is that we may understand muscles and the gears and levers, Stephen Levine's theory from the 50s on the gears and levers with bones and the muscles. But we, we, we don't tend to place importance as manual therapists on some very dominant systems to that, which are the nervous system and the brain. And so when you say no anatomy, I would say learning the anatomy of the brain and the anatomy of the nervous systems between your central nervous system and your peripherals, between your afferent versus efferent systems, your sympathetic and parasympathetic, your upregulation techniques versus downregulation techniques, these become as vital in your anatomy because, you know, it, it helps to know where the anatomy of the sciatic nerve is, especially if you're looking to help someone figure out if they have pseudosciatico or true sciatic or piriformis syndrome, whatever you want to call it. But on the same side, I can know the anatomy of that all I want. But if they're at an eight or nine or a 10 on the pain scale and I poke at them with my fingers, they're going to get pissed off and they're going to get hurt. And so knowing that when a patient comes at an eight, nine or 10 on the pain scale, they're in a fight or flight state. So Knowing my anatomy doesn't help, but if I know the anatomy of the nervous system and I know techniques that are for downregulation and how to engage the parasympathetic nervous system, I can take them from a, from a flight or flight system state to a calmer state, and then I can start focusing on the muscle tissue. And well, that's up for debate actually on its own whether we actually do anything to the muscles, but that's a different conversation. But I can get into looking at things like the stretch receptors and the chemoreceptors and the chemoreceptors in the skin to see the effects I'm having on the actual physiological anatomy. But not knowing the nervous system, it just, it it leaves us working one-handed. So do you think that our education as massage therapists is, do you think there's a, a big hole there that we are not getting oh, God, enough? Yes. Do you think there's a hole, oh. or do you think that people oh. just don't care? Like when you're in school, no, no, I think I think it's both. Because I I, I, both. I know I, from just from being in the education system and working with massage therapists as an instructor, no one cares about that stuff when you're in school. Like you you learn it quite extensively. At least I did when I was in school, and the places that mm-hmm. I taught at definitely went through all of that stuff in huge detail. But then you, you you're sitting there in front of you know twenty, thirty, forty students who are who are 
are, you know, just not digging it because all they care about is their hands on stuff. It's like, it's like business. It's like ethics. It's like all that. But shit. I think People that don't give is shit also, I think that's also partially, not partially, that's the school's fault. And it's what a lot of massage therapists are upset about right now but, in that, not that it's not taught, but that the way we're taught is mm. that we're affecting muscle tissue or affecting muscle tissue. And what a lot of therapists are screaming right now is we're not affecting muscle tissue. We're affecting the nervous system. So placing more emphasis on the nervous system than the musculoskeletal anatomy. I, I totally understand that, but I'm just saying like like the material is there. Material's the there. The material is there. Yeah. It's just when someone so I think, when someone leaves school yeah. and they go get their license and they just let that information slide away. Mm-hmm. Like that's a therapist problem, well, so not a, not so much I, an education yeah, problem. I actually I actually do think it's an education problem. I, I actually created a sixteen hour class on that single concept. And one of the things that I address in it is called the origins of modern fascial treatment, which everyone's familiar with FFMR, uh, myofascial release technique. I'm sure everyone's heard of instrument-assisted soft tissue manipulation. Yep. Everyone's probably familiar with the MELP method versus the myofascial stretching versus the fascia blaster, blah, 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 exactly. blah, blah. Every one of those techniques comes from a simple overarching umbrella called the fascial distortion method which was created by Stephen Topaldis in 1991. And the FDM, the fascial distortion method, his whole theory is that really what happens is complaints in the musculoskeletal system could be fixed by the use of force from a skillfully trained therapist upon the fascial system. The key component is schools took that single idea and were like, we're justified. We're justified in our techniques. We're justified in our education. We're justified in our modality. And the downside is that many years later, I believe it was in early 2001, a literary review came out and there's not a single, not a single clinical trial or any basic research, not even just two people in a room were done that showed any form of benefits from the fascial distortion method. And so in school, we're taught that these things are the dominant treatment methods and they're the dominant systems. And what we're seeing now with all the research coming out, especially out of France and Germany with Dr. Gimberto, who does live in vivo endoscopies of the interstitium and the fascia, and then between Robert Schleit, who has an incredible institute there, and then with the plastination modalities, what we're seeing is that I'm not strong enough as, um, I mean, I, I'm, if you ever, people go and look at my social media site, I'm 220 and I work out and I'm six feet tall. I can apply a significant amount of force to the human body. But what I can't do is apply enough force to create long-lasting permanent change within the fascia. Mm -hmm. And the research backs that up, not me. For example, people say stretch the IT band. It takes 2,500 pounds per square inch to have an effect on the IT band. I don't care how strong you are. You're not putting 2,500 pounds per square inch on the IT band. And yet we're taught in school that our hands are kneading muscles similar. And I, like I said before, I was a baker before. We're taught that we're kneading bread almost. When in reality, what we are doing more is a feather. When we, like how much pressure does it actually take for us to create stimulus in the brain? And if you take your hand right now and you put it on your forearm, how, how much pressure does it take for you to stimulate presence on the skin without applying pressure? So essentially try not to touch your opposing arm while still maintaining contact. That's the level of stimulus it takes to affect the brain and the nervous system. So right there, you have created change within the human body. 
And so when we say it's not the education system, it is because in the education system, we're taught about the nervous system, but we're not taught how the nervous system is treated with manual therapy. We're not taught what our hands can do to affect the nervous system. We're only taught the nervous system exists. We're, we're taught about the CNS. We're taught about the PNS, but we're not taught that, okay, what your hands will do is create this technique called mechanotransduction or this process, sorry, not technique, process called mechanotransduction, which will create a mechanical stimulus to the skin, which creates a chemical response within the skin that sends a stimulus from the PNS to the CNS to the brain. The brain will have a input traditionally memory-based and then threat assessment-based, and then it'll stimulate something down the CNS to the PNS, creating a chemical response, which causes a mechanical response called sensory input, motor output. You put your hand on a hot stove, the heat burns you, you take your hand off. The input was heat, the mechanical response is movement. Massage is the same thing. So the question is, is how much stimulus do I need to put into the human system to create a mechanical change? And it's very counterintuitive. And this is where the education system fails, I think, Mark. When we say the education system addresses this issue, if somebody comes in in a fight or flight stage, should I use my elbow or my fingertip? I think he's asking you, Mark. Sorry, because uh, I'm just thinking about the whole thing and I'm thinking about it like this. And this is why I say I feel like it's more of a therapist problem because everything you're talking about, we learn, but we learn it kind of disjointed. It's very disjointed. Right? Yeah. But then wouldn't it be up to the student at the end of the whole thing to be able to see the larger picture and put it together? Well, that's the idea is that we're going to be able to critically think. But everything that Troy's saying now, it's not presented that way to us in school. Like when we learn the nervous system, as he said, we're learning this is what it is. This is where things are. This is sort of how they work. But I don't think it's ever presented in a way, like he said, where how much stimulus is actually needed to affect change. And what does it mean when it goes from a mechanical response to a chemical change but you know, like we we don't i don't think learn it the way that he just presented it and i'm not saying in that you're wrong we're taught, but i think in, that, in school we're taught that the systems like you just said amanda we have we're taught the system and then we're taught that we have an effect on it but that's only for the muscles and bones and ligaments and tendons and, and possibly the fascia we're not taught that we have an effect on the nervous system. We are taught the nervous system, well, but we are not think, taught our effect on the I nervous system. I think we're system. taught that we have an effect on it. We just don't go into that grade of detail of, about the pathway of how we're affecting it. Because in every single treatment I learned ever in school, it would we'd always have to list out the goals of treatment. And I think the number one goal of most treatments was like, decrease sympathetic nervous system firing. Like, I don't know how many times I had to write that out in assignments. Decrease sympathetic nervous system firing. <laughs> So I mean, see, that's that's actually a really interesting point because in in at the Boulder College of Massage Therapy, which again very well recognized program, we weren't really taught that. We were taught that it's part of the system, uh, you know. And, and I've been teaching now for eight years, um, and I've been you know at national conventions globally, uh, not just in my association, but I've been been an invited speaker at the chiropractic associations, at the physical therapy. And even their therapists say the same thing. They're not taught to look at the system as though the muscles, the fascia, the bones, the ligaments, and the tendons are subservient to the nervous system. They're taught that they're dominant to the nervous system. Yeah, I, I don't agree. Reality, I don't. I don't. I don't feel we learned it backwards like that. But maybe it's. I don't know. It's I, so hard to say because, to be honest, with you, every fucking school does something a so little different. bit different. Yeah. Like in Ontario, there's like forty something fucking schools, and every therapist that that's comes true. out yeah. of it, you know, has something different to say. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? But I, I, I understand you what you're saying, and I actually, I. 
I changed my tune. I agree with what you're saying. It's not taught like the way you're you're putting it forth. No, it's school. not. My only thing was saying that like these these components are taught, but it's now up to the, in my mind, because I'm, you know, I'm a decent student. I, I mm-hmm. understand what the fuck's going on. <laughs> that it would be up yeah. to the student to be able to piece those things together, but that is not happening. I think a big part of that not happening too is because the level of the person that comes into the massage school to begin with. So Mark, where did you get your kinesiologist degree? I got my degree at York University. Yeah. So you went to higher education, correct? Yeah. That's what I did before myself. Yeah. So when you walked out of the school, you had the capabilities and the ability to Exactly to right. problem solve and put a larger image together. Yeah, yeah and that's a massage therapists are not taught that, and this is one of the biggest problems I have. Massage therapists at a 500-hour program, 750-hour program, it sounds like even at the 2,000-hour program, we are spoon-fed information, and we are not taught to be critical thinkers because we cannot do diagnosis nor differential diagnosis, and that's okay. I actually don't think massage therapists are trained enough to do that, but. When you are trained to do what's called the differential diagnosis, part of the training involves taking a step back, looking at the big picture and saying, how do these systems interact and what do I need to do as a therapist to get everything to be in homeostasis? Mm -hmm. In massage therapy, we don't have time in the schooling or, and this is a big problem in the US, I imagine it's similar in Canada, especially here in Quebec where the massage school close to my office in Sherbrooke is a 400-hour program. I am very doubtful that in 400 hours or any hour number of hours, a massage therapist is being taught to look at the whole no, picture. No, that's just a quick information dump. you don't have time. Even in a 2,000-hour program, you don't have time to walk away and go, this is the big picture. And you learn that in university. I learned it through doing research and being in the industry for 16 years and being an educator. You learn to look back and go, what is the big picture? And you say, is that on the student? I would say if I was in a university or a higher education system, yes, it's on the student. But in a massage therapy program, I'm going to say it's on the teachers. I need, we need the teachers to step up and be better and say, you know what? I'll, I'll take that. I'll agree, I'll agree with you there. You've, 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 you've convinced me. I've changed my tune <laughs> on that. The type of person that ends up going to massage therapy and generally the type of education that they had prior to massage therapy, you need that from the instructor. You know yep. what? You won me, man. Well, I, I and, and I want to clarify, I don't I don't think you meant it this way and I just want to make sure everybody listening understands it. When you said the type of person who goes to massage therapy, that's not a, that's not a bad thing. People who go to massage therapy are open-hearted, loving, caring, giving people. But with that comes, I need a little bit of spoon feeding. And it's not everyone. This is not a blanket statement for every therapist. I'm not saying every therapist does this. But after 16 years of being in the industry and teaching at least, you know, close to a thousand, if not more students, I can tell you the majority of students do need. And the ones who don't, they're they're going to have these concepts. They don't need to be taking classes like this. They don't need this information. They already have it. But so many, they just need that spoon feeding. You're so PC. You are very PC. <laughs> I do agree with you about about the higher education piece, though. I also have a kinesiology degree from the University of Western Ontario. And if I didn't do that prior to going to massage school, I definitely feel I would have been missing pieces and not fully understanding the big picture. My previous education definitely helped me in, in my massage career. I think that... I don't, I don't want to say this because I actually loved my massage instructor, but I know for a fact that multiple times when he was teaching courses, he would turn to me and say like, right, 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 because he knew that I had the kin <laughs> background. And I don't feel that he ever really did push critical thinking on us. Like, for example, when we were learning treatments, I remember him putting charts up 
on the whiteboard. Like he would just do a big chart and like, you know, these are the muscles that might and be affected. This is how to stretch this. This is how to strengthen. Like we didn't really. And your class probably ate that up. Well, exactly. It was like a recipe, right? And I, yeah, you mm-hmm. can learn that. And sure. Okay, fine. I would could go into my oral practical exam and get, you know, carpal tunnel syndrome. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to strip these muscles. I'm going to stretch these. I'm going to strengthen these. I'm going to use this hydrotherapy. But it was all from the recipe. There was never a yeah. push for us to think about what is actually happening in the body. How does the nervous system, uh, how is the nervous system involved here? How, you know, what's going on with the muscles? What's going on? Like it, it was, it wasn't really looked at like that. It was just like, this is the symptom picture. This is what's going to hurt. These these are the muscles that are tight. These are the muscles that need to be strengthened. This is where you need to do frictions. This is where you need to. It was very, um, yeah, it was and again, spoon feeding. All you guys are, all you guys are justifying is a bachelor's of sciences because what happens to the bachelor's of sciences? You must have minimum standards of education and a standardized program that is recognized throughout that nationality, mm-hmm. Canada, U.S., whatever it is. And so, bachelor's of arts, bachelor's of sciences, whatever you want to call it, you end up getting minimum education right now. The massage programs here in Quebec, uh, I've been asked to teach at the school here, which even though I want to do, I'm choosing not to do because the simple fact is, is that 400 hours will not, I, I will not feel like the students walk away trained professionally. No, you'd be so super I don't annoyed. Put my stamp on that certificate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the U.S. is similar. Anybody, yeah, sure, you have to go through an accreditation process. You have to get the fine. There's all these steps to make sure that you're legit. But almost anybody can open a massage school. Yes, you do have to be legit. You have to go through it legally. But it doesn't mean you have to be talented, and it doesn't mean you have to be a good teacher. It just means you have to be good at paperwork. And so I imagine it's the same, it sounds like, in Ontario. 100%. And what, it like- what that means is that the teacher, how many, I mean, how many times do we all go to massage and we go, I just want a full body. Okay, you go get your cookie cutter full body, and it feels great. And when I say cookie cutter, Every massage therapist and manual therapist has a box that goes, that's the cookie cutter massage. I've had it and I either liked it or I didn't. And then you can go in and say, I have a shoulder problem. And you get the cookie cutter massage plus an extra five minutes on your shoulder. <laughs> but that's, so not, that's not clinical thinking. That just made that's me so clinical. sad because that's almost every massage I've ever had when I go in with a real problem. <laughs> yeah. Like my left hip hurts I, and then I get the full body massage and they spend a few minutes digging elbows into my left hip. I'm like, but why? <laughs> and correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not clinical thinking. No, it's not. That's just following a recipe. And so like in the classes that I teach and to all my mentees and my apprentices and all that and all that kind of crap that comes with whatever, I tell it like in my clinic, I don't do hour massages. I don't have a, t- I don't even have a clock in my, in my office. They come in. If it takes me five minutes and they walk out pain-free, that's it. They pay me full price. But if it takes me two hours, they also just pay me full price. I've got a set fee. I don't care if it takes me five minutes or two hours. You will walk in with a certain level of discomfort. And if you walk out with less, you pay me money. If you didn't, that's, if, if people walk out, they didn't get better. They do not get paid. I, they don't pay me if they don't get better. That is very similar to money. They walk up. Well, I'm getting paid whether they feel yeah. better or not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, every, everyone that does walk in, they end up walking away feeling better. But yeah, I, I kind of work very, very similar. But that's also because um, uh, that's how the way I work is akin to, right? Right. So. But, again, it's, but again, it's the clinical thinking thing. Somebody comes in and if they have a Morton's neuroma and I can get rid of their Morton's neuroma in 10 or 15 minutes or their pain symptoms, not their Morton's neuroma, but if I can get rid of the symptoms of it and they walk out pain-free, I don't need to spend an hour fluffing their scalp. Now, on the flip side, I'm a huge fan of getting my head massaged. Oh my God, a scalp massage is incredibly relaxing. There's something about it that is just so, 
so entrenched the word is repos on my god it relaxes the system i'm not i'm not saying that's not valuable there's so much value to relaxing therapy that is cookie cutter there's a value to that is to say it has to be applied in the correct scenario and that scenario is only determined by the therapist and that therapist has to have clinical thinking you know in, in the taping industry and in the teaching industry you guys may be familiar with the statement but we often say you assess and then you treat and then you reassess. Mm-hmm. You don't treat and then assess, which is what most massage therapists and manual therapists, the amount of students I've had who are physios and acupuncturists and chiropractors and osteos who come in and they just go, oh, I treated them because they said carpal tunnel and they walked out feeling better. But they never assess them before doing treatment. It, that that's called, that's removing the process of clinical thinking from your practice. I have a question for Amanda though about the elbow into your hip. Do you think those therapists even care to be a good therapist? Do you th- or do you think they what they're doing they think is good therapy? I think I've probably had both of those people, but again, I am the worst. I will put a lot of this blame on me because I know some amazing RMTs and I am the worst where I wait until my left hip hurts so much that I can barely function and I'm like I need a massage now. And then it's like where who has an opening right now? And so I'll end up going to, you know, a clinic wherever I can find someone who will take me right now and, you know, that's that's not typically going to be the best person because one, they probably hate me that I booked their only opening that day at the last minute. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm not a regular client. I'm just coming in because I've got hip pain. So I, I put a lot of the blame on me. So, yeah, I've definitely okay, had scares. therapists that I think, yeah, they just maybe don't care so much. And then I've had ones who I, I remember once getting a treatment from this therapist. She was lovely, like very, very nice. And she knew that I was an RMT because I had been to her clinic before. I just hadn't seen her. And I Again, I was my problems were always in my hips and I was having an issue with my hip. And she was, you're gonna love this, Troy, stripping the hell out of my IT band. Like just <laughs> fucking with her knuckles, like up and down and Bruising just it. killing me. I, I actually did end up with a lot of bruises. And I just said to her, like super nicely, I was like, Yeah, I think like that's okay. That's like enough of with the IT band. And I was kind of just telling her, like, could you work a little bit here? Could you do a little bit here? I'm like, you know, we really need to focus maybe a little more on my hip flexors. I don't know. In, anyway, but she was very nice, and I think she really did think that stripping the shit out of my IT band was going to make the pain go away. Mm. Now, again, I'll, I'll place that on the educators and the system, because if you walk, and if a child does something, whether it's good or bad, but they've been told by their parents that it is the right thing to do, since we're all parents on the call at the moment, if you tell your kids to do something because it's the right thing to do, and then they do it, the person on the receiving end of it thinks it's the wrong thing to do, the child still thinks they did the right thing. Because they've been told it's the right thing to do. Yep. As manual therapists, stripping your IT band, they're being told it's the right thing. So I, you hear, you hear the way manual therapists talk about the work they do. They're so passionate. They are so in love with the technique, be it Lomi Lomi, Thai Yoga, Traeger, Kinesio taping, be Swedish, you know, trigger point therapy, myofascial, the Dalton method, the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> whatever the technique is that they have. You can hear them talk about it. They're so the same way as I'm talking about it right now. They're so passionate about it. And so I really do think they're coming from a place of I'm doing what's right for the patient. I do think it's patient-centered care, but you're only doing right based on your knowledge. You know, one of the things that I, there's a sentence that I really love from Isaac Asimov that I have in one of my classes, and it says it's very easy. 
it was easy to cover up ignorance by the mystical word of intuition. And that's from Isaac Asimov. And I added, intuition is not explained by ignorance, nor should it be masked by ignorance. And what I, what I think these mean is that most manual therapists get away with saying, you know, the patient says, I felt so good. It felt so good. How do you know? Oh, you just know it's intuition. Bullshit. Intuition. No, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Intuition implies you cannot learn it. And only I have that knowledge and only I have the ability to do it that well. No, a good teacher has to be able to impart knowledge and teach their students. Yeah, of course you can well. learn it. I'm I'm going to play a little bit of devil, devil's advocate there. I think some therapists who say intuition, I don't I don't know that they're necessarily thinking that they intuitively know how to find where the client's discomfort is and how to make them feel better. I think it's just that the longer you're in the industry, like you said, being 16 years in practice, you start to really understand the body and the nervous system a little bit more. So where you might not have to put as much thought into something, you can do an assessment of a client and really understand like, okay, okay, I think I know how to make you feel better. Hence why you could get results from somebody in five minutes. Is it true intuition? No, but it's learned because you've been doing this for so long. You've got the experience, you've got the palpation skills, you've got the quote, intuition. I think that maybe some therapists are using it that way. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they actually think they were born with this God-given gift of putting their hands on somebody and knowing what to do. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think we got both. I think most manual therapists, you know, we have the doctor God complex in, in every therapy from psychotherapy to surgeons all the way down to, you know, just dishwashers. Everybody feels that someone in the industry has a God complex. And I think you're right. Most massage therapists and manual therapists who are using the word intuition are probably trying to say to a patient with using fewer words, this is 16 years of observation, mm -hmm. hands-on palpation, mm -hmm. knowledge and wisdom that I'm using. So sure, it looks intuitive, but it's not. Right. And it, maybe we do need to clean up our language because I know I'm guilty. I have clients all the time who will say that to me, like, how did you just know? Like, you know, I had this guy um, just before I had to shut down who came into me and he said, I keep having this problem where I can't do push-ups anymore. My wrist, my wrist, my wrist. So anyway, I, I did the treatment that I did for him and he texts me maybe 25 minutes, 30 minutes um, after he left me. And he said, wow, I can't believe it. My wrist feels so much better. And I was like, well, one, you just had a massage. Of course you feel good. But anyway, um, he is somebody that would always say to me, how do you know? And my response is so stupid. And maybe I need to start actually like taking it more seriously. I always say to people, it's the only thing I have to be good at. <laughs> and see, I, I would agree with you, man. We got to clean up our language for the simple reason that if I want to be taken seriously in healthcare clinic, for example, when I teach in Colorado, I teach at a place called Select Medical PT, which is a physical therapy clinic. And I would say that 90% of my students are not massage therapists. They are physical therapists or chiropractors. I've had surgeons attend my courses and doctors. I'm sure that sounds like name dropping and ego boosting, but the reason I say that is because when I'm in class and someone says, how did you know? I can't say it's the only thing I'm good at and I can't say intuition and I can't just pass it off as, oh, observation. I have to sit there and say, okay, we're going to break this down step by step because as a surgeon, you don't see what I see as a manual therapist, but I don't see what you see as a surgeon. You cut them open and you see structure. I never cut them open. I see movement. I see fluidity. And so we have to break our language down. And it's the same with our patients. We can't be treating our patients like they can't understand. They know stuff that we don't know. And so when a patient asks me, how did you know that that was the spot that was hurt? I'll say, well, 
one, my technique, I actually ask them, is this the spot that hurts? None of my patients ever fall asleep because every session I'm saying, is that the spot that hurts? Is that the spot that hurts? Is that the spot that hurts? But even if I didn't, I would still sit there and say, I could tell based on the way that you move or based on this observational technique, or I noticed that when you describe the numbness in your arms, these are the three fingers that traditionally relate to either radial uh, brachial plexus syndrome or trigger point therapy or whatever whatever the explanation happens to be. I never dumb it down for them. And I think it's something that as massage therapists, we're notorious for is dumbing down our wisdom. But really all it does is it shoots us in the foot in the healthcare industry because we are already the dumbed down version of manual therapy. Not that because we're not talented therapists, not because we don't have the ability, but because we learn the least amount. Our schooling is subpar across the board. Anybody listening to this can get mad at me for that sentence all they want. It's not wrong. You'd send the hate we mail to Troy. the least educated. We, we've actually said that multiple exactly. times on episodes that definitely yeah. our education is not up to par and we are the bottom rung. And we've even brought up the debate, is that why therapists feel the need to overcompensate sometimes and feel the need that, you know, that we want to be respected, we want to be respected. But then it, as Troy's saying, if we want to be respected, then we do need to show that we know as much as we do. And I think a lot of therapists but do. can you have the respect from the people that Troy is talking about when half of the therapists work in spa and service. Well, that's always the debate. So let me let me let me answer that question with a really simple, really simple statement. There's two things. One, I honestly, truly, in my heart of hearts, on a legislative level, really would like to see a split in the industry. I'd like to see a title massage therapist, and under it have spa therapy and therapeutic massage. And they be two different categories, similar to a physical therapy and a physical therapy assistant, or a PTA and a or a nurse and nurses assistant, all that kind of stuff. I really do think the industry has to have two levels of education that focus on two different disciplinary approaches. One that's more relaxing based, which has like when I get a massage, I do not want to see me. I promise you that. I want to fall asleep. I want relaxing. Mm-hmm. I don't want the therapy that I offer. But if I'm hurt, I don't want the relaxing. I think the first is there has to be a split in the industry. We do need two separate titles. And the second is, I don't care if you're in a spa, you can still speak professionally. The question is, is do you know how to speak about it from a clinical standpoint or a mechanistic standpoint? I do, I do feel, though, a lot of other medical community look at us differently because of the settings that we're in. I mean, despite the knowledge that I may I have, you know, working as a spa or working in service, but at the end of the day, you know what? It's, it's the perception of the other medical professionals that is one of the things that we're talking about right here. But again, that, that perception is only going to change from within. The, the perception the medical community is going to have towards us as manual therapy, massage therapists is only going to occur if we as massage therapists start sounding professional. You know, when I talk about massage therapy at you know the chiropractic convention in St. Louis a couple of years ago, none of the chiropractors are looking at me as though I'm not on equal knowledge level with them, that they're looking at me as the teacher. You know, they're looking at me as the teacher. And so in their regards, they don't care what your title is. They care the words that you use. And it will take time. God, it'll take 15, 20 years for the industry to really shift. But it'll take even longer if we don't start. You know, if if we want the healthcare system to see us as a serious medical practice, we have to change our language within the industry. It can't be something from outside. It has to be from within. And that has to come from therapists on a daily level. It has to come from the educators. The educators are the ones, and ideally starting at the school, 
But if the schools won't change, then from since you guys are in continuing education as well, from the continuing education educators, they have to be the ones to update the material and their lingo. I, I agree with you 100%. And, and here's the catch-22. The people that should really be taking the continuing education are, are not, not the ones the that are taking the continuing education. Yeah. And there's, you know, again, that's where we have to then focus on that third branch, which is why I do volunteer work with the American Massage Therapy Association still, which is focusing on the legislative. But even there, you move into a whole nother world of politics and playing the game of politics. And it's not easy and it's not fun and it's not for everyone. I've been doing it for five years now and I can tell you pretty tough to stay motivated, but it's it's part of it because then you look at legislation. Okay, mandatory continuing education. That's the first step. If you're not going to increase the minimum levels of base education, introductory education, then we have to introduce the minimum levels of continuing education. Ideally, we would do both. This is where Ontario has, I think, done a crazy 180 turn, not for the better. We used to have a three-year continuing education cycle where you had to obtain 30 credits and for every two hours of instruction was the equivalent to one credit. Of the 30 credits, 20 of them had to come from what they called category A. And category A was like super foundational stuff, like right into directly the scope of, directly applicable, applicable scope to your scope of practice. And then the remaining 10 yeah. can come from category A or category B, which was stuff that was kind of, you know, related to the scope of practice or complementary to the scope of practice. Ontario has done a complete fucking 180 on that. They've gotten rid of mm-hmm. the the three-year, 30-credit cycle. They have said, yes, you have to do continuing education, but you have your self-assessment tool, because I think you guys were talking about this earlier, or was that off We were talking about it off mic. Where you have to do uh, your self-assessment tool, and then, you know, that's your self-assessment to determine where you feel that you're weak, but even that, the competencies involved in your self-assessment are garbage. Garbage. So you end up creating your continuing education based on this garbage thing here. It's, 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 it, mm-hmm. they've gone backwards on that in my You mind. know where I think they dropped the ball is not having an approval, cor- uh, an approval process for continuing education courses, because it got to a point where mm. you just had to, you just had to collect credits. So like you said, we know a continuing yeah, education but- provider that was teaching courses for okay. 10 credits yes, yes. and they were garbage courses. So you, you have, but again, in Canada, you guys don't have the, you guys don't have any national certification, do you? No, no, no. I guess I should say we do we, because I'm part of well, the you're in Quebec. Um, but I know that, I know that it, 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 yeah, it is, it is, it's completely unregulated. It's absolutely ridiculous. When I first moved here, uh, I was asked to get involved and I said no, cause I was still doing it in Colorado and, and, and the system here is very, 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 very archaic. But essentially what it is, is in the U S they, they've begun a process, but again, being an approved provider to the NCBTMB, the national certification body for body work and therapeutic massage, they are a national certification board. So they give you like a standard yep. level of education but even there it you don't actually have to you don't get audited you literally have to be good at bureaucracy exactly. you pay a money and you get the certification right. there's no double checking to make sure that your material is valuable mm-hmm. i've taken classes where i walk out of the class i'm not kidding when i say that i've taken classes where i challenge the teachers in the class depending on my sleep the night before <laughs> and i've taken classes where i just i walk away getting my mind blown on, on how amazing it was. And they've all been NCBTMB approved. Yeah. And the truth is, is having the certification board there is great. And its initial purpose and intent was very, very, very valuable and, you know, true cause. 
and it's become something that's purely a moneymaker because anybody can get anybody can become certified with very little auditing. Nobody looks at your research. Nobody looks at your statements. You know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I don't know if there can be a perfect system, but not approving courses, I think that's somewhere that maybe that needs to be reevaluated because if anybody can just invent a course and teach it, and people are inventing like entire systems of things. Even their approval system, when they did have it, they didn't really approve it for any quality. They just approved it as, okay, well, this is category A or this is category B. And how many hours. And how many hours. And therefore, Mm -hmm. we can say this is Mm -hmm. worth this many continuing education credits. They didn't evaluate anything beyond that. Yeah. I will say on the flip side, I just created a course last or two years ago and I've been teaching it and it's been successful and I'm grateful that the system is that lax. But I also feel like my course, you know, I think in the 16 hour course that I teach, I have roughly 225 research papers quoted and referenced uh, in my syllabus and not all research, you know, most of the classes I've taken have no research quoted or referenced. And that's, that's a downside. It should be one of the minimum requirements for any class, but I'm thankful for the lack system because it's benefited me at the moment, but I definitely don't think it's better for the system. I think the system has to change a hundred percent. Do you think research should be included in massage therapy college? Like, do you think we should have to have a class on massage research? Yes and no. I, I did when I was in school, but again, it's one of those courses yeah. where no one gives a fuck, to be honest with you. It's yeah, taught, think, it's taught well at my school. It was taught extremely well and you know, I did well in it, but our, no one else did. At our school, we were taught very, very basic. We were introduced to massage therapy research. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is that you guys both went to university. I've done research papers. They're not easy. They're time consuming. You nitpick over where a comma yep. goes. They are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly complex animals you know this paper that i did that i that i emailed you guys there it took us over a year to do and to be honest it was the first stage of what we had thought would be a seven portion research paper and we've got stuck on stage one um it's not easy and so i don't think massage should be in a research school in the application portion i don't think people should be doing research because there's a reason the PhD is complex, is that it, and it takes so much school. I don't think they should be doing research but either. My question think, was more like, should they have to study research think, and understand how yes, to evaluate research? research yeah. yeah, because yeah. I don't think I they think, have any I idea. Think the course, yeah, I think the course needs to be how to properly read, understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's, that's like what uh, I had at my read, school. Read a paper and go, oh, that's a good That's piece. what I had at my school. And then on top of that, we were kicking yeah. around the idea of creating a course for it. And then we kiboshed that mm-hmm. whole motherfucking thing because at the end of the day, we're still a business. And that yeah. that ain't going to go nowhere. That's a that's a dud in terms yeah. of continuing education, right? You know, and especially with the proliferation of research on social media, somebody puts up this great tagline in a post and they read the article and like I got sent an article just the other day on the benefits of massage therapy on um, the saliva and increasing the immune system to help COVID-19. Stop. And I, I read it because I wanted to entertain the thought that this could possibly be real. And it was, you know, www. Blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to name the post. And then it ended with blog spot. Oh boy. It was somebody's yeah. blog. It's not a research paper. That's an opinion. And there's nothing wrong with an opinion, but just state it as op-ed. Yeah. Don't state it as research. That's that's the biggest problem. And people don't know how to read it and go, that's opinion. 
they look at it and they go, hey, sound You know what? You're right, though, because a lot of this does come down to school. Because, like, for example, when I said my research class in school was fabulous, a big part of it was our instructor. I mean, how many people are going Mm -hmm. to massage school that are are sitting in the research class right now that have an RMT sitting in front of them that have no idea about research, have never been involved in research? They have no fucking clue. I was going to make that point earlier, and this is not at all to offend anybody who teaches in formal education. I did. Mark did. But... Again, a lot of the private career colleges, they're not paying these RMTs well enough. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. the quality of instructors are not top notch. I'm not saying that for all of them, but there's a lot of RMT instructors that don't have any education other than they were taught by an RMT who was taught by an RMT who was taught by an RMT. So they mm-hmm. they haven't learned how to analyze research and i know that when i was in university that was something i spent countless hours like i think i lived at the library 12 hours at a time just dissecting research and so i don't remember how in depth we went into it in massage school i actually don't remember it yeah. at all mm-hmm. but I understand research papers because I lived it for four years. But yeah, I don't think a lot of RMTs really understand research. And and I think that sometimes they can get stuck on semantics because I want to get back to talking about um, that with you, Troy, about the language we use. And I think that, you know, RMTs Mm -hmm. can read something sometimes and they get stuck on the wording and that's it. They take that to be true and run with it. They didn't even read the rest of the research, what came out of it. It, It's Or they didn't understand what they read. Or yeah, maybe they didn't understand what they read. But um, I want to talk to you about the language because that's sort of how we originally started this and um, the way that we explain to clients what we're doing and how we now know through the most current research that what we thought we were doing or what we were taught we were doing or what we're still being taught we're doing is not actually what we're doing. Do you think that it is a huge disservice considering a lot of the techniques are still going to resemble each other it's just the language we use like do you think the language is as important as what we're doing i already know your answer but Uh, i want you to talk about it (laughs) tell me why troy tell me why a wonderful example i'm going to use an example that my daughter used today she has discovered a brand new word and she said invisible meaning invisible and it got me thinking if i was invisibility would i not be visible and yet the word invisible means to be unseen And so unvisible sounds like such a smarter way of saying not visible to me. So the words you choose have a profound impact on the way we say something with the way we understand something. And so when we talk to a patient and we say massage therapy does this or yoga does this, meditation does this, stretching does this, they are taking the they're taking your word as fact because you are in a position of power. It does not matter if that person is better educated than you or not. Okay, let me ask you this then. Let's say a salesperson comes to see you, okay? And they are they say to you that, oh, I've got a lot of uh, tension in my neck and shoulders. That's where I carry my stress. I feel like I hear that sentence at least once a week. And you as the therapist, you do whatever you do. And at some point in treatment, you might say like, yeah, massage therapy um, definitely helps to reduce stress. And then they leave. 
I don't. I've let's never say, said that. Let's that say that you're you're Sally, the therapist. You're not Troy right now. You're Sally. You're some other. Okay, you're some other person. You. Okay, fair enough. And fair Sally enough. says fair massage enough. therapy helps to reduce stress. And then this salesperson gets off the table and they're leaving. And they say to Sally, "I feel great. I feel like I've had a weight lifted off my shoulders. I feel so much less stressed. I feel so relaxed." Okay. Then they leave. They've taken it for a fact that massage therapy relieves stress. What danger have you caused that client? The difference is, is whether I presented to them as a clinical outcome or a mechanistic outcome. So if my patient says to me, I'm feeling better, that's like, I, I feel like I have less stress. I, as Sally the therapist or Troy the therapist, can say, you're right in feeling that way. I'm not going to deny them their sensation. They are right. It's subjective. They have their opinion. And it's likely right, correct, and valuable. What I will not say is it's going to do the exact same thing for you next time. And for everybody you ever refer to me, it will do the exact same thing. That's the difference. And that's the harm. Me saying massage therapy reduces stress. I have made a blanket wide statement that it will consistently reduce stress. How we talk about massage therapy really impacts our patients because it makes them believe that what we're saying is correct. So if the patient comes in and says, I feel less stressed. I'll say, that's fantastic. I'm glad you feel less stressed. Let's hope it happens again next time. That's it. That's that's a very different statement than massage therapy reduces. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. I don't think that any therapist should be using such blanket statements because like you said, it might do something for you, but it doesn't mean that the friend of yours who does the same job and who has the same problem is going to be affected the same way. And again, you might even come back in next week, random salesperson, and you might think you have the same problem. But as you said, you're in a different state. Things are different that day, and it's not going to affect you the same way. I agree with you that the language does matter. Are there statements that massage therapists make that you think are actually really harmful to the public because like i'm i don't disagree with you the the stress thing the reason i would ask you the question what harm does that cause is because people have always just looked at massage as this this thing that is relaxing and Mm -hmm. you know it helps me to de-stress and even the clients who come in and say like i want really deep pressure to them that's somehow relaxing or whatever i i don't necessarily think it's harming to say massage therapy decreases stress i wouldn't use it as a blanket statement but is, the, is there language that us as a collective group of professionals are using that you think is really harmful to the public? So one of the most common ones that I hear and see on social media is massage therapy reduces cortisol levels. That's what we call a mechanistic outcome. And in order to properly test to see if it's reduced cortisol levels, we would have to be taking pre-saliva or blood or urinary or some sort of fluid samples pre-massage and post-massage in 2006. Six, uh, 17, which is not that long ago, a literary review was done on that single concept. Does massage therapy help uh, reduce mm-hmm. cortisol? Nothing has been found. There's literally not a single paper that says it does. But the clinical outcome of massage therapy produces stress. Cortisol, which is a stress hormone, when we have less stress, in theory, we have less cortisol. So to jump from one statement to the other as though they are the same thing, Massage therapy reduces stress, therefore your cortisol levels must be reduced. Not not true at all. They have they could have come in with the same cortisol levels, different version of stress. They could have been, they could have had just too much caffeine in their mm-hmm. system. Maybe it had nothing to do with cortisol. And so that's one of the ones for me that's very problematic. Massage therapy reduces cortisol. Another one that's really problematic is massage therapy boosts the immune system or enhances immune mm-hmm. function. 
I'm sure you guys have seen that as well. I would love for somebody to send me not one, even one, but preferably several research papers that show any form of testing that has been done to show an immune system enhancement based on the fact that it was massage therapy, because boy, would you have to isolate your subjects away from air contaminants. You'd have to isolate them away from different liquid contaminants like Gatorade versus water. You'd have to isolate their sodium intake versus their, you know, like, my God, would that be a very complex scenario? Yeah, I've never really been able to get on board with the massage therapy improves immune function. The same way, I mean, I've got a lot of friends who are chiropractors, and I hear a lot of Don't them saying, even get started. <laughs> but I have a lot of friends who are chiropractors, and I love them, and I still go to see them, and I, I like what they do, yeah, and I, I enjoy the treatments, but I... I just I hear them talking to their patients and saying, oh, when you're sick is not the time to skip an adjustment. That's when you need an adjustment because adjustments are, again, affecting the nervous system, which uh, the nervous system is controlling everything. Mm -hmm. So if we're affecting your nervous system, then it's affecting your immune function. And that's what you need when you're sick. And I'm like, uh." and I think we as a we have an inferiority complex because we are undereducated. There's all these reasons to have an inferiority complex as massage therapists throughout the globe. And because of that, a lot of us try to sound more professional. But again, and maybe, you know, when I was early on in my career, I made all these mistakes. Maybe it's because I've been in the industry almost 20 years now that I feel confident enough to say, I don't know what we're doing. But And maybe it only comes with time and experience. Maybe it'll take other therapists in 10 years, all the ones who are there now, they'll say, my God, how stupid was I? And how I feel so much better now. I'm just saying, I don't know. I just know. What you know what I love if, about if your... they even care enough. What's if wrong with care. saying that? If they care enough, because you know what? You you working in the spa and you're making some good coin and you're working six days a week and you got eight patients a day and you, you know you don't know what you're doing and you don't give a fuck. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, the, the, there is that. And the thing is, that's relevant to every industry. We're going to have those people. I, I really want to be focusing on those people who like, you know, I went into massage therapy when I was 24 years old. I'm not even 40 yet. And I'm about to turn 40 you lucky this year, bastard. But this has been my only career. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my only career. I don't ever plan on having another one. With this, when this pandemic is over, I plan on starting my practice up again. I'm not one of those people. I know on social media, I see a lot of therapists worried about changing professions. No, this is this, this is, is what my you job. do. This is what I do. This is who. Well, you I know am. what I also love about this entire discussion has come full circle. By the way, is that we started out by saying massage therapists need to clean up their language and sound more professional, and then it came down to massage therapists need to stop trying to sound so professional and making up bullshit because mm-hmm. that makes you sound unprofessional. And I have said that multiple times that I I've been a therapist now just over nine years, and. I've met the point now where I'm very happy to say to a client, I'm not sure. Like, I'll see what I could do. I don't yeah. know. And that probably would have been really hard for me. And I would have felt a lot of insecurity saying that like seven years ago, eight years ago. But now it's, you know, I'm not sure why that keeps clicking. I'm not sure yeah. why that hurts. And it only it only comes it only comes with knowledge. I don't think people will get there. I think any manual therapist comes to that point of acceptance you know, five stages of denial, whatever it is, <laughs> or uh, of, of moving on. I think it's, they come to that place of acceptance with knowledge. So they come in, they learn, and they go, wow, I really didn't know anything. And only when they feel like they didn't know anything do they sit there and go, oh, okay. Now I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable saying I don't know. Because they have this all this other knowledge to say, well, if you really want to know the questions, we can tell you what we don't know. We won't, we won't necessarily say what we do know. 
And I, I think that's important. And the thing is, is even now it's changing from when I, you know, I, the class that I talked about, I created it in 2018. This year I was going to teach it again in April before I had to cancel my travel plan. I updated my class by about 30% this year alone from, you know, from Christmas to now. And the reason is simple. New research papers came out. And so I updated my material and some of the stuff I taught in 2018 no longer applies. So I invited all my previous students who had taken it to audit my class for free because I wanted them to get that new Good knowledge. on you, man. Because as we learn more, we should change our understanding. The more we understand about the human body, about our psychosocial and biopsychosocial interactions with our patients and our lives, the more it should change our hands-on techniques. Because that's really what massage therapy is about. You know, that's why we talk about this. It's because we want to be better as therapists. We want to offer our patients more and our clients more pain-free lifestyles. But that only comes with knowledge. It doesn't come with repetition and it doesn't come with just doing the same thing day in, day out. It only comes with growing ourselves as professionals. Mm -hmm. And that comes with taking education, but it also comes with learning how to read research papers. And it comes with admitting, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'd love to know. So I'm going to try to find out what I know. And, and that only comes with time. But, you know, it, it really it really has to be, can't be stressed enough. Massage therapists, we really do have a profound effect on the population. We, we help. It's the why we help that we have to stop making up. It's not that we don't help. We do. It, it's the why. We don't necessarily know why. We have theories. There's nothing wrong with theory. It's just not the same as fact. Right. So Can I ask you a question then? From a business standpoint, I agree with everything you're saying, but from a business standpoint, is this shooting yourself in the foot? The way to talk to the public in a way to market yourself, to create your brand, everything else, does it does does do whatever? And I'm, I'm fully agreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing at all, but I'm looking at it. I'm yeah, also looking at it from a whole other side, which is the business of massage therapy. I guess Mark is wondering if that would be, I'm, I'm just guessing, is that he might be wondering if that would, that language would would confuse the general public. I guess I guess I, I see what you're saying. I guess it could. I guess some patients could walk away and say, well, why am I going to get a massage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that, that that's a risk. I, I don't think it's the reality. I think uh, I think what happens is that the more the more a patient is willing, the more vulnerable we as therapists are willing to be in front of our patients saying, I don't necessarily know. Uh, I think what happens is the opposite. The the patients actually walk away with a greater sense of trust. They still feel the physiological and psychological benefits of having had a massage. And so they still walk away feeling good. The difference is, is now they also walk away feeling good and feeling like they can trust you because they don't feel lied to. Do you guys know the name Ben Cormack or Paul Ingram? Yes. That one, yes. Or Robert yep. Schleit or uh, Dr. Gimberto or mm-hmm. Ken Lopasse? Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now, or Grace Ann Forrester, uh, there's all these people I can tell you right now. If you are in the medical profession of manual therapy or movement therapy, and you're still saying, for example, posture equals pain, you are going to get shot down aggressively and with a lot of, of, uh, of force behind it. And if you can't back your statement up, your patients are going to leave you. Your clients are going to leave because when they hear someone saying posture equals pain is a crock of shit and here's all this information and all this really well-documented and backed up research that says posture equals pain is a lie. And then you come in and say, no, 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 no. Posture equals pain is real. They're going to start doubting you. And so if you can come in and say, you know, we don't know why we have pain in its relationship to posture. We don't know what it is. We do know 
that posture does not equal pain, that it sometimes equals pain. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, what a Well, yeah, exactly. We've had this discussion before as well, because again, we both have a kinesiology background. So we talk about posture, not necessarily in regards to pain, because when I'm treating clients, I'm not only focused on pain, right? It's a function. And they're definitely Mm -hmm. a person's posture is affecting the way their body functions as a whole and the way they move. So there is possibly some effect on pain. But no, you can't say to somebody, you know, this posture is why you're experiencing pain because you can see another, you know, 80-year-old woman walking down the street with like a complete hunchback and she's got zero pain. So I agree with you there. But it's, again, when I said before that sometimes I think therapists take a sentence like, you know, posture and pain are not related and then they run with it without and then suddenly they're throwing postural dysfunction out the window which we shouldn't as manual therapists posture no, is still no important value in right. observing postural issues right which there still is value in observing postural issues and there's still an effect on movement and or function does posture equals pain it's not an equal sign it's an equal with that you know backslash yeah. it's sometimes equals pain And I think that's the biggest difference. As long as we're not saying this equals that, or this is why this is happening, or this is what, you know, if we're saying this is potentially what's going on, this might, you know, we have a theory about this, or foam rolling your IT band can feel really good. Like, if we're just changing around the wording, I think I had said this before, because a lot of the techniques and what we're doing still really looks the same, is there Mm -hmm. there things that therapists are saying One example that comes to my mind, I think you brought it up earlier, is when therapists say like massage uh, reduces toxins. Where did that come from? (laughs) It actually came from a research paper that was done uh, back in 1986 um, when a a therapist had done a piece of paper on the frequency of urination after a massage. And so they said, well, obviously, you're urinating more after a massage, you're reducing toxins because you're peeing. Well, first off, when you're peeing, really what you're peeing out is mostly, uh, yeah, some toxins and free radicals. Uh, it's not necessarily purely toxins. So already there, I would say that. Two, are they peeing because they drank prior to the massage? How many, you know, how many therapists, how many patients are told to drink water after a massage? So of course they're going to go pee after that. They just drink water. Third, how much water or caffeine or whatever did they ingest before the massage? And then how long was your massage? Were they doing an hour? A two hour? My God, if, if I went two hours on a table, I'd want to pee too. And so it was a poorly done paper. There wasn't enough information. That's really where that originated from. And again, it was a leap in logic. Urination post-massage must mean reduction of toxins. So That's again, we're saying it's this equals that. So your biggest issue is the language that we're using, which I know is a lot of massage therapists right now who are just sick of the old language. <laughs> That's actually not even my biggest issue. <laughs> it is one of the issues. My biggest issue is people's palpation techniques. Both, but we we have to do another another. Podcast you should see Mark's face right now. Like, what the fuck? We just talked about all of this, and that's not even your issue. <laughs> no, that's just one of the issues. Palpation techniques is a whole other thing. Okay, I've got two more. I've got two more questions for you because we've monopolized a lot of your time. First one. I'm 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 good to talk to you that. By the way, this stuff gets me. So excited. I'm totally, my heart rate is up and everything. We had um, another therapist on a while back. And I mean, him and I kind of have this relationship where he is very much evidence-based. He's very much into pain science. Mm. And I... I actually really enjoy talking to him because he gets just as passionate as you. But I was kind of poking fun at him on the episode, like, oh, whatever. I do reflexology. What do you think of me? But I was just kidding around with him. But one thing he said multiple times on the episode with me is 
we were lied to in school. I feel like I was lied to in school. Do you, Troy, feel like what we learn in school is a lie? Not at all. I feel like people are doing the best. But I'm an optimist, and I'm a, I like to think that everybody's being generally a good human being. Obviously, I'm wrong. There are a lot of assholes <laughs> out there. But I really do think that in the education industry, and I really do think that in the heart of hearts of massage therapists and manual therapists, not just massage therapists, I know that a lot of different industries, I'm not going to call any out for definition reasons, but there's a lot of industries where people get called out for being snake oil, you know, for offering up cures for everything. And the truth is, is I really do think in their heart of hearts, they are, they get into the industry because they're genuinely interested in helping somebody. Either they had a problem and somebody helped them get better, or they had a family member or a loved one, or they saw someone in the sports industry, and and they genuinely got interested because they wanted to offer benefits. And then we get wrapped up in the business of it. Can I make my payments, blah, blah, blah. And so then we have to try to, you know, I'm going to sell CBD oil while offering massage, which technically is illegal in the United States, even though CBD is legal. You're not allowed applying it as a massage therapist. I'm pretty sure it's the same in Canada, by the way, if you guys haven't looked into it. Um, but a lot of massage therapists apply it in the session when that's, that's technically it's illegal to apply it because it's considered a class A medication when you're applying it in that form. And in order to apply medication, you have to have a prescription with a diagnosis and we're not doing that. So we get caught up in the business portion of it. And then we, we lose our way, essentially. I really do think in the heart of hearts, though, they come from a generous place of loving and caring. And as instructors, I think it's the same thing. They want to share their knowledge. They feel like it has value. So I don't think they're lied to. I think they're undereducated. And there's a big difference. Do techniques matter? <laughs> now you've gotten onto the subject of art. <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say so about that. I, I, I will answer that. If you have never, I, I recommend to you guys, to all your listeners, Lorimer Mosley. He's an Australian neuro, uh, neurologist and pain scientist researcher. And he did this incredible TED Talk uh, called Why Things Hurt uh, in Adelaide uh, a couple of years ago. I really recommend it. It's absolutely incredible. And it, and it describes a lot about what it is that causes pain and induces pain. And one of the key things that becomes very valuable when we're talking about that is that a hundred percent of the time pain is a construct of the brain. Right. And secondarily, there's another concept that gets tied into that very intimately, which is that pain or the brain, sorry, always, always, always allocates power according to need. The nervous system allocates all of its brain power according to need. So when we're looking at techniques and different modalities, whether you're doing ART, stretching, fascia, Swedish, light touch, deep touch, zero balancing, Reiki, the list goes, the craniosacral Feldenkrais. When it comes to research, a lot of these techniques are not researched. A lot of them are not. There's very little research, unfortunately, out there on the benefits of craniosacral. Even though anybody who's experienced cranial sacral goes, wow, that felt mm-hmm. amazing. Same with, you know, there's so many techniques like that. And so do the techniques matter? My honest heartfelt opinion is no. What matters is the therapist. The therapist's mastery of that technique. It doesn't matter on the technique. If you find somebody who's incredibly talented at Thai yoga, Versus a therapist who is incredibly talented at trigger point therapy, which 
do trigger points exist? Oh, what a good debate. <laughs> but if they're good at it, if, if you find therapists who are incredibly good at myofascial release, again, are we affecting the fascia? Oh, I would say, God bless us, no. But it doesn't mean the technique doesn't feel good. If you have somebody who's good at Swedish, every one of these therapists will help somebody who has trochanteric bursitis. Every one of these therapists will help somebody with low back pain. Was it the technique that mattered? Or was it the therapist's application of the technique in a way that was sound and clinically reasoned, meaning they assessed, they treated based on that assessment, and then they reassessed to see if the change was positive or negative or no change. And then they treated again to get to homeostasis. That, to me, is what matters. It's the therapist. So the technique is less valuable than the therapist. But a good therapist is only as good as their clinical reasoning skills. And their clinical reasoning skills, if they haven't learned them in school, a good therapist will learn them in practice. I feel like I need to say amen. And if amen. a good therapist learns them in practice, <laughs> then they'll, they'll, they'll be good for the rest of life. A shitty therapist will have to learn them in school or in continuing education, or they'll just always be an average therapist. And there's nothing wrong with being an average therapist. If all you want to do is go to work, get your bills done, pay your mortgage, take care of your kids, feed your family, boom, done. Nothing wrong with that. I know it sounds like I'm saying there's something wrong with that because my my voice sounds derogatory. I really don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not someone who's content with that level of life. I want more out of my life. So obviously I think other humans do as well, but it's not always the case. But to me, I think the therapist is more valuable than the technique because every technique has gotten results. Yep. It's just, you can't. Well, and that's why there's the so many different techniques and there's so many different continuing education courses. And that's why there's so much variance in how you see therapists treating. Like we talk about all the time, there's the people who offer, you know, the, the traditional Swedish treatments with, you know, the dimly lit room and the oils and all of that. And then there's the movement therapists who don't even get you to disrobe and they've got you on the table, off the table, on the table, off the table. There's people who do time as all of these things will have the clients getting, leaving the clinic saying, that was amazing. You know, and they're all these therapists are busy mm -hmm. and they're busy for a reason. And a lot of it does have to do with, as you said, the person and knowing their clientele. Um, and but also people people seem to be fiercely loyal. If you meet a therapist that you really love mm -hmm. and it it goes back to again, some of it just being placebo. If that if you've got such confidence in that therapist and in what they do and you believe that they know you and they know what your issues are and they know how to fix them, you just put your you you're completely vulnerable, you put your body in their hands and you think you're gonna get better and then ta-da, you're better. Yeah, it's called rapport. There you go. Right? When you have rapport. When you have rapport, you have rapport. We all have those teachers we loved. We all have those teachers we hated. You know, uh, we all have those patients we get along with. We all have those patients who we just treat. And then we have those patients who we dread treating. You know, no one's above that. No no human is above so that. So since behavior. we talked about techniques, I have to ask you, and I, I know you said it's a whole other conversation. We don't have to go super deep into it. But what, what, what's your issue, <laughs> no, I, issue I with mind. our palpation? <laughs> if you, Doug Nelson, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's currently the president of the Massage Therapy Foundation in the United States. Uh, at the uh, convention, at the National American Massage Therapy Association convention two years ago, so in 2018, I was attending one of his classes and I've actually hired him to come out and teach in Colorado this fall. And, and I've attended his classes before and, and, and I teach this concept and I know he teaches this concept. So I, I asked a very specific question. Uh, you know, he was doing this class and he was doing this manual therapy technique 
on the foot. People were watching on the screen. You know, there was a, a phone projecting it up onto the projector and people are going, Oh yeah, it looks good. And I, I yelled out, how much pressure are he using? Is, is, are you using? And he said, 3.4 ounces of pressure, three, three pounds, four ounces of pressure. And everybody giggled. And I yelled out again, honestly, tell us how much you're using, knowing his answer. And he said, no, honestly, I am. And everybody kind of took a moment to stop. And he stopped and he said something to me that has stuck with me that I love, which is if you were a basketball player, what are some of the skills that you would have? Why don't you, can you guys name some of them? Are you actually asking me to name some of the skills of a basketball <laughs> hand-eye coordination? You'd have uh, depth depth perception. Dribbling. Yeah, you could dribble. Like all of these, all of these things. Yeah. You can you can run fast. Yeah, dribbling, <laughs> passing, running, jumping. Yeah, all these passing. Yeah, you should know how to do those. So as manual therapists, what's one of the things that we should have on our skill set? Pressure. You should know exactly how much pressure. You should know what three ounces or three grams of pressure feels like. You should know what 25 grams of pressure is like. And the reason you should know is it's very simple. Three grams of pressure in the human body is enough to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system via the epidermis. 25 grams of pressure is enough to stimulate the superficial fascia of the human body through our smooth muscle cells, through the Rafinha carpuscles. 160 grams of pressure is enough to affect the compression of the muscle tissue against the bone. 450 grams of pressure is enough to shake bone. So why do I need to use my elbow at 20 pounds of pressure when 450 grams of pressure will move bone, will move a joint, can affect a ligament? You should know what pressure affects what tissue density. It is one of the key skill sets that massage therapists lose. We're just taught to lean into the human so body. So do we, do we need to add that crap. to basic education then? Are, are, is that part of our palpation every, class? That every, we need to have? every class I teach has electronic scales for every student. And they walk away with an electronic scale and they get to learn and practice at home. This is what it feels like. Mm. So that they know they can do it to the human body. You know, lymphatic drainage therapists learn that. They learn the three yeah. grams of pressure and it makes a big difference. And then the other one is uh, there's those non-Newtonian fluids. Like when you take that cornstarch and you mix it with water and like if you hit it hard, it becomes resistant. And if you rest your hand on it, mm -hmm. it gets absorbed. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys have seen those social, those videos. One of the things I do in my class is I, I take that cornstarch lab. I essentially do that with cornstarch. And then I say, okay, now you're going to take your hand and you're going to move them apart so slowly that you stretch this cornstarch without ripping it. Because when you move your hands quickly apart, the corn starts rips. It doesn't stretch. It doesn't let go. And it becomes important to focus on those ideas. And some some of your people who are listening will probably call that the idea of thixotropy. And it is not. I want to be clear. It is not thixotropy. Um, I'm not a fan of the idea of thixotropy. I actually think it's bullshit. Um, and even, even, even Ida Rolf in 1977 in a really interesting recording said that she thought thixotropy was not real. It was purely a theory and that somebody had to come along and prove that thixotropy existed, but that she didn't think it would exist. Mm. And yet this is also a lot of therapists say thixotropy, you know, you're heating up the tissue and it's changing its chemical constituency from a gel to a soul. Research doesn't actually justify that. And Robert Schleip has actually done research papers to show that that actually is not true. We cannot change that with, with the effect of, of of manual therapy friction, we do, we don't create that kind of change mm -hmm. in the human body with human with human touch. And so for me, the palpation skills they become secondary. The anatomy becomes more important. You know, we talked about earlier, anatomy is incredibly mm -hmm. important. But people want to learn 
about the most unique muscle. They love hearing, for example, that you know serratus anterior is the dominant antagonistic muscle to biceps brachii, which is so counterintuitive to so many people, but it really is. So people love those little caveats of knowledge and then they go and use them, which is great because people get better, but they forget that to touch the serratus anterior, if you use more than roughly 100 grams of pressure, you're bruising rib mm. or you're going to, you know, if you do it on pec minor, you're going to give them brachial plexus syndrome. If you use it on anterior scaling, you're going to give them TOS, thoracic outlet syndrome. And so people love the anatomy and they forget how to touch the anatomy. How we touch is just overlooked. People think, oh, you learned it in school. Okay, you're good for the rest of your career. No, you're, you're not good. You, you should be doing palpation reevaluations every year. So I, I really, really think our palpation is just horribly, horribly, horribly overlooked because the sensory system lives in that most superficial system, the skin. It doesn't live in the muscles. We have some, but it's not where most of it is. It's not in the bones. It's, it's in our skin. So why wouldn't we treat the skin? Well, Troy, I really hope that you were telling the truth when you said after this pandemic, you're going right back to your career because I, I think you're probably one of the most passionate therapists I've ever talked to. Uh, obviously, very much into your career. Thank you so much for uh, talking to us so late at night. We really appreciate it. I mean, all three of us have little children, so we had to do this late at night. Otherwise, there would have been screaming kids in the background. But I really appreciate you talking to us and providing some good education while people are just hanging out at home waiting to go back to work. Thanks so much to you guys as well. I really appreciate it. You know, therapists who are looking to do this just as a weekend job until they find their next career, they're not going to be interested in what you and I and, and Mark are saying. But those therapists who see massage as a career, that's who I'm talking to. Why don't you give out all your contact info? So my website is learningwithtroy.com. It's got my email and my phone number there. My email is troylevineatme.com. And um, I practice in Sherbrooke. If you're interested in education stuff, I also, um, there's my website, learningwithtroy.com, uh, but I also teach a technique called the sensory approach to manual therapy. And that website is sensoryapproach.com. You can also find me um, at the Colorado American Massage Therapy Association. I'm the education chair there. And, uh, and then I have a clinic in Sherbrooke as well. Um, and if anybody French happens to be listening to this, the website is also approchensoriel.ca. And so you can find me at the same stuff and all the information's up there and feel free to reach out. You can reach out to me on Instagram at my name backwards, which is York Engeval. And uh, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm really interested in getting more involved with the Canadian community. To me, it's, uh, it's valuable. Right on, brother. Good having you on. It's a good talk tonight. Thanks, guys. Cool. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.